0: So the toothpaste has officially been squished too far out of the tube. As far as we can tell, telehealth is here to stay. And with it comes a world of possibility and complexity when it comes to innovation in healthcare using technology. So now what? What's next for virtual care? How can we go from not just delivering healthcare that's nearly comparable to in-person consultations to doing it just as good, if not better, in a virtual setting? Is that even possible? And what needs to change? Well, when it comes to using technology in healthcare, my guest today has seen it firsthand across the globe over multiple decades. I'm talking with Kerry Stratton from InterSystems. And in this chat, we're going to explore the tangible value of healthcare data and what we can do with it. We'll look at how technology can improve accessibility and quality of healthcare in rural and remote Australia, and we'll cover the sustainability of telehealth in its current form and what the future might hold for healthcare innovation and lots more. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team HealthTech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking HealthTech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology With me today is Kerry Stratton, the Global Director Healthcare Solutions for InterSystems, an innovative data technology provider dedicated to helping customers solve the most critical information challenges. Kerry's got over 40 years of experience delivering technology solutions to healthcare organizations worldwide. He plays a central role in global customer initiatives for InterSystems and in the ongoing development and execution of the company's healthcare strategy. He's held leadership roles at several Australian companies, including health tech pioneer Track Health, which he founded in 1991 and was acquired by InterSystems in 2007. Since joining InterSystems, Kerry Stratton has consulted with governments and regional healthcare organisations in the UK, France, Germany, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, the Netherlands, South Africa, the Czech Republic, Brazil, and the US, and he's also advised leading hospitals in Asia-Pacific region on their healthcare information systems. Hey, Kerry, how are you going?
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Peter.
0: Thanks so much for joining and a bit disappointed that we weren't able to do it in person as planned, but that's just the way that it all goes, doesn't it, these days?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Anyway, but look, I'm keen to explore a number of topics with you, and so it's going to be a good conversation. Let's start off and let's get right into it, thinking about COVID and where we're at today, We've all talked about how it's driven breakthroughs in health technology compared to the pre-pandemic era. What would you say is stopping innovation before and what's changed now?
1: I think, and for your listeners, which I think is a understanding audience as far as healthcare is concerned, uh, healthcare, as we all know, is really complex. People talk about banking systems and why is technology so advanced with online banking, etc. But healthcare itself is really, really complex. Healthcare data is complex. Making decisions just took longer because there was a lot more, I think, to really be considered when it came to technology and healthcare, making sure that what was bought, what was developed, what was used, could be trusted, could be relied on by the clinicians and by the Patients and the old make sure we do no harm. The other thing is there is a difference between technology in healthcare going out to private organisations or public healthcare organisations. I think with public healthcare organisations, there's always been a case of budgetary constraints. Have we got monies to spend? Where's the money to be spent? And is technology a high priority? I think it was always pretty much well-considered in the public healthcare arena, and then the future looked at and budgets allocated over a period of time. Private organisations, I think they really wanted a better and more clear understanding of the return on investment. Where do they get the money back, having spent reasonable sums on technology, especially in the clinical area? What benefit does it bring them and how do they get that return on investment? The other thing is the ability of the systems that they were looking for, EMR systems typically. They've been in this country for a long while, especially in the public health care arena. Patient administration systems have been there for more than 20 years. Clinical systems have become more prevalent over the last 10, 15 years with varying ability and usefulness to... Uh, clinicians and and obviously to the hospitals themselves. And then the interoperability, (laughs) the ability to be able to pull all these systems together and use the data reliably. So what's changed, I think, obviously, COVID's changed a lot of things. It certainly pushed the barriers, I guess, on technology companies like ourselves. First, COVID comes out and new tests were invented, but they had to be connected. So the testing machines needed to be connected to capture that test information, be able to handle the volumes of tests and be able to report on them quickly. So testing was one of the first things and companies like us needed to develop those interfaces into these wondrous machines that were able to do the tests, but we needed to collect the information do the analysis, put it into a patient email, report on it back to their clinicians and back to the patients. Telehealth, I think there was almost an immediate demand for doctors, especially primary care doctors, still to be able to see their patients. But obviously they were nervous about having them come to their surgeries. So where possible, they wanted the ability to be able to either talk to their patients or at least be able to communicate with them on some immediate needs like refills of prescriptions, you know, get some testing done, give some test results out, etc. So telehealth was another thing that healthcare came to companies like us to say how can we improve this to make it a more meaningful experience. Pop up clinics, we go involved in not just clinics, alongside existing hospitals where we could test patients but also pop-up hospitals. We are involved in China, for instance, with the hospital that was built in just a matter of weeks and they needed a system there just to be able to keep track of patients coming in, what their conditions were, very basic things, but they needed it quickly and they needed it up and running, which we were able to do. And then things like, more recently, vaccination, scheduling, And using technology to speed that up and maintain control over that actual function, but also keep track of patients that had been vaccinated and where they were up to in that cycle. So a lot of things have happened over this last 18 months. And yeah, I think it's changed the way healthcare providers and our citizens and patients really think about technology and healthcare.
0: Yeah. And as you were providing some of those examples in relation to, a lot of it was linking back to the data and you talked about the interoperability of the data and being able to use it in a meaningful way. Do you think that part of the reason why technology has been so important has been not just because people couldn't physically be in the same place and we've talked about telehealth a lot and the ability to do video, that's great and remote monitoring to an extent, but the fact that the data that has been used for tracking and tracing and ensuring vaccines are up to date and everything. So data has played a really important role in this whole process, do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. We've seen that with, as I mentioned before, the initial testing, you've got to be able to collect that data, but you've got to be able to rely on it as well, tracing people. So collecting that data initially, I think we stumbled, or not we as InterSystems, but I think the whole country stumbled initially with how do you collect data reliably, you know, do you write your name and what have you in a book when you go into a, hmm. a restaurant or a convenience store. Then it went from there to some more elegant ways of collecting that information like TD barcode, etc. So collecting data and being able to collect it, but not just collect it and get it into a form where you can read it back and do something with it, you've got to be able to trust it. So the systems, I think, that collected that data had to ensure that it was checked and double-checked and could be relied upon. So I think the collection was one thing. The integrity of it was even more important. And then if you look at some of the more specific things around healthcare, the EMRs have been in place, as I mentioned before, for a long time. But taking that to the next step and being able to use it for things like telehealth conferencing where the clinician could have the patient's record up on a screen and be talking to that patient at the same time. First off, they had to make sure they'd got that information in their systems and then they had to be damn sure that they could really trust that information. So, yeah, I think the collection of it, making sure it's what we call clean and can be trusted and then can be used in huge volumes, in some cases, I think is really essential.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah it's critical. And as you are talking about telehealth then, I was thinking you would, to an extent, have a view, not just here in Australia, but globally as well. And thinking about how telehealth burst onto the scenes, as they say, in inverted commas, and then to where we've got now, how have you seen those trends go in terms of I guess, utilisation or reliance on telehealth and how that has all gone about in terms of its adoption and use?
1: It depends on the country. I'm fortunate enough to have a global responsibility, so I've seen it used in different ways in different countries. I think in countries like Australia, telehealth has been used for many years where we're such a large country, but our population is typically coastal. And so distance to a a lot of places where we have people has been a, a problem. It's been problematic for people to get treated, get expert opinion on a particular problem. So telehealth has always been used in this country or been used for a long while by a clinician treating a patient in a remote location but needed some more expert help or advice. As typically used telehealth to consult with specialists in specialist centres. Now that's really changed during this period where it's been used for more a normal healthcare consultation. So where, for instance, primary care doctors, even in the coastal big city regions, have used telehealth to actually just basically communicate with patients that just needed what would have been normal in-surgery consultations. And that was fairly widely used in Australia during the pandemic period, although I did hear some stats which were a bit surprising where a lot of clinicians and their patients preferred just to do it by a telephone conversation rather than a, what we would call a video or a telehealth consultation. And I think there were some lessons learned in that whereby it was cumbersome. I think some telehealth systems have been proven to be cumbersome. They're not as natural as an in-person consultation. And so technology maybe got highlighted poorly in some of those instances, depending on the systems they use. And I think that's something we're certainly looking at that moving forward as how you improve that, how you give a more natural feeling for a consultation using Video conferencing and telehealth. In different parts of the world, Southeast Asia, which I've had a lot to do with, telehealth had not been used as widely as it had in places like Australia before. And so their immediate concern was to treat patients with things like repeat prescriptions or actually in order to prevent them coming to the outpatient's clinic at a hospital because they didn't want the threat of then catching COVID in an outpatient setting. So it became very quickly very much about a different care paradigm, a being able to provide care as best they could remotely or outside of the surgery for patients. Again, a similar problem was felt with the natural sort of feeling of the patient and the clinician The ability to have a system that was intuitive for both the patient and for the clinician where it became a more natural conversation, their consultation, rather than juggling with the technology. So I think there's been issues. It proved successful in being able to achieve the immediacy of the care that needed to be provided, no matter where they came from. But I think it also highlighted to both clinicians, patients and to Technology providers like ourselves, that there needs to be more work done and more work to make it a more natural experience.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you think about that natural experience of telehealth, and if you just take the in person consultation and chuck it on a video call, then it's going to feel unnatural in terms of the jumping onto it and then having the conversation and everything. I really think the interesting and rich conversations are going to be about what a telehealth consultation is over a long-term, redefining some of that and hopefully still aligning those with some of the other important aspects like the funding and other bits and pieces that are necessary. So it is going to be an interesting space to watch and it's nice to see that you're focusing in that area too. One thing I wanted to touch on as well, though, is you talked about the breadth of Australia and the need for telehealth ongoing post covid just because of the size and particularly providing quality uh, care in regional and remote Australia. We've talked a bit on the show in the past about increasing accessibility or equity of care in areas of need or even just rural and remote locations. What are your thoughts in terms of how technology can improve some of these aspects for regional and remote Australia?
1: We're lucky, even though we've got a huge country geographically, I think we're lucky in the sense that with the NBN, we've pretty much got internet coverage available right throughout Australia and regional Australia. I'm not sure what the stats are currently of the rollout, but I think it's pretty much rolled out to everybody, especially keeping in mind, I think it was especially designed for making sure rural and regional areas of Australia did get that technology. So I don't think technology is so much the problem or the ability, the tube, in order to provide a service. One of the big problems, of course, with regional and remote Australia is it's underserved by the numbers of doctors and clinicians. And this is where I think telehealth can assist. Now, well, we're talking about telehealth, and I think... That, to me, conjures up a picture of technology. So it's video conferencing, etc. But I think it's more than that that we can and should offer. And I think it's more about care and being able to provide care virtually and being able to provide care for the long-term treatment of chronically and unwell patients, as well as provide, and I think this is becoming more important, as well as being able to provide the opportunity for people to gain access for wellness and prevention of illness. So I think we need to look at it now. We've got the technology. We need to expand on that technology. We need to make it more user-friendly is one word, but more able to allow clinicians of all types, not just doctors, but clinicians generally, to be able to provide care to those people that are in regional and remote areas rather than just a point-to-point video conference. So that's very much where we're focused is looking at how we can do that using technology to make that able to happen. I really believe we can. We're doing a number of proof of concepts in some areas where we're really working with clinicians and the healthcare providers to see how we can best do that using the technology that we've got now, but also technology, developing technology to make that actually happen and happen quickly.
0: I feel like that's an important aspect of it all I guess it's like the concept of value-based care or the outcomes, ensuring the quality outcomes there and talking about preventative health too. So definitely speaking about all the important factors that we should be focusing on in healthcare and not so much just being about treating people who are sick necessarily, and I like the concept of technology being able to help some of that. In terms of the things that you're talking about working on, what does that actually look like? So beyond telehealth and beyond the enabling conversations, what are some ways that technology can really enable some of this value-based care?
1: Okay, I think value-based care is an interesting topic. There's not really a real value until the patient, the clinician, and the payer all agree They're receiving value because there needs to be value for everybody in the chain. Now, we ultimately want to make sure that the patient really feels like they've got value. How do they feel they've got value? It's typically by feeling they've trusted what they've been told, they've been given information, they've been given treatment, and ultimately, hopefully, they feel better or are in a better place than than where they were prior to their consultations. The clinicians need to make sure they get paid for their services, otherwise how can they continue to do so? And the payer needs to make sure that they've paid for something that their customer, the the patient, feels that they got value for as well and that they're not overpaying or over-servicing. So I think value-based care is certainly talked about a lot, but it needs to satisfy everybody in the chain during the pandemic we came close to this being able to provide value for care in a virtual sort of setting but that was really by a necessity by necessity and not by choice we had to uh, adapt quickly we had to help all of the three that i've said were in the chain in order to make that happen how do we do it going forward i think is the the real thing we using technology. A number of our private hospitals, certainly not so much in Australia, but around Southeast Asia, have been hit pretty badly by COVID. COVID numbers have been higher than what we've experienced in Australia. Their general bed numbers have reduced dramatically, especially to those healthcare centres like Thailand and some of the others that have been providing medical tourism as part of a large base of their inpatients, that's all changed. How can we help them now to change their business models? And that's something that we're looking at and we're looking at doing by being, again, able to do different things, like, as I mentioned, consider people's wellness rather than treating conditions, healthcare conditions. Look at it prior to them getting sick. Look at how they can offer services, their great clinical and services to outside of their walls of their hospitals. So looking at that side of things, how they can, instead of just maybe doing a one-off consultation or operation on a patient, be able to take that patient into more, a longer term approach and be becoming their health provider of choice. How do you do these things? So you have to be able to offer things. And one of the things we talked about was in virtual care, for instance, is not just having a teleconference, but maybe collecting information from a wearable device, being able to offer patients or citizens in this particular case wearable devices where the information can be collected when they're going for a run or their general fitness, their weight loss, help them with weight loss, help them with reducing smoking, help them by being able to connect devices, receive the information into the systems and then being able to advise them through virtual consultations. So we're seeing this sort of change, we're seeing this sort of demand for technology to be able to do that certainly in the private healthcare sector all around Southeast Asia and other places. But I think it's particularly predominant there. In case of places like Australia, we've talked about being able to offer care for those remote patients. But I think not only remote, I think we should be able to think about how can we uh, assist chronic illness patients, patients with known illnesses, under treatment, How can we save them having to travel on a regular basis to see a clinician? Patients with diabetes, with all kinds of underlying other issues. If we can assist them using technology, help them care for them more at home and in the main being able to communicate in a meaningful way with their clinicians, that could be a better use. Other things I think we need to think about, with technology is how do you treat patients with mental health, those people that are also suffering, and not just through the COVID period, but through what we call the so-called norm.
0: And so thinking about some of those big opportunities, you talked about wearables and you talked about saving people traveling long distances to receive care and receiving care in their home and better comms with clinicians and particularly addressing mental health. They're all really important things to be done, but a number of barriers come up along the way. What are some of those major barriers you see as inhibiting some of these positive opportunities and changes and how are inter-systems addressing some of these?
1: There's a number of barriers, I guess. Money's always a barrier. These technology, like so many other things, is not necessarily inexpensive. It has to be planned for, it has to be budgeted for. And so companies like us obviously need to work with certainly both the public and the private healthcare providers in order to help them do business cases properly so that they can get budget to invest in in these technologies. I also mentioned before one of the other barriers has always been how healthcare is complex. But healthcare data is both complex and huge. So we talk about all the things we can do, but it means you've got to be able to capture a lot of data in order to make use of it. So it is something that technology companies and healthcare providers have been battling with for some time. So you've got to have the technology that's able to deal with huge volumes of data and do something with it. So you've got to be able to manage it, manage the volume, and you've also got to manage the integrity of that data. If you look at some of the genomics and the genomic sequencing, for instance, this literally gigabytes of data that comes from what would appear to be simple, straightforward testing. And in order to do something with it, you've got to do it and be able to do it quickly and in a timely fashion. I think the. EMRs. We've had EMRs for long periods of time, but they've mainly been for patient administration. And even though there's been a desire to go clinical, clinical systems are complex and they have evolved more slowly. And I think it's always been a barrier to get doctors to actually use EMR systems for their clinical decisions and the clinical noting. So getting clinicians, especially doctors, happy and comfortable to use these systems has always been a barrier. And I think another barrier has been in connecting devices, not so much point-to-point connections locally, but being able to connect seamlessly to devices in-home devices or remote devices that are connected to patients where people generally are not technico-savvy, techno savvy as they've had to be. So we've got to me it's always been a barrier to making those connections seamless and technology, although it's improving, needs to improve even further in order to make that really happen and move along quickly. How does InterSystems address these things? Well, we're focused on really the rapid development of healthcare solutions where we've been very much focused on over the last couple of years with our For Health data platform. This is a data platform that is very much involved, able to collect data, the interoperability with things like fire and HL7 being able to connect to other systems quickly, more rapidly. A lot of these new apps that have come up, being able to connect those apps and have that data bought in from those apps and into the patient EMR and being able to maintain that integrity is really all important. And the other thing that we're really focused on is making sure that that data that we received, whether it be from a remote device, a healthcare device, whether it be through just normal data input, can be aggregated, put into the patient EMR, and is clean. So clean in the sense of integrity of that information, where there's been governance of all clinical sorts, that the doctors, clinicians can rely on it. So we're very much working in that area, development of technology certainly development of the Iris Health Platform with incorporating standards like FIRE, making it possible for these things to be achieved and reliably.
0: Just thinking to round out some of those barriers and ways to address them, Kerry, you mentioned the importance of the clean data, particularly when it comes to clinical governance. And as we know, if technology is going to be disrupting the business of healthcare, there's potential for it to also have the danger of disrupting the clinical governance systems and everything that's keeping us safe in healthcare because you spoke at the start about how complex everything is within healthcare too. So what are some of those major things that you've got your eyes on at InterSystems in terms of being cognizant of all of those dangers and addressing them? I think
1: although there's potential with disruptive healthcare solutions to break clinical governance, companies like InterSystems, it's just part of our DNA to be both aware And ensure we do no harm. Now, how do we do that? We invest heavily in the best technology and maintaining standards. That's one thing. So these are not, these are not, you can't develop these solutions cheaply. You have to be in it for the long term and you have to abide by not just the technology, but the standards. But the other thing is it's about people and inter systems employees many clinically trained staff at all levels product development, quality control implementation and support at all of those levels we've got clinically trained people maintaining both the build initially of the systems to the quality control of it and finally that it's implemented in a clinically safe and supportable way and then like I mentioned before we have a team that Just look at world's best practice in each of the specialist areas and maintaining that as well as looking at regional and local government rules and standards because that's all important as well. You've got to make sure we can do all the protection around making sure it's clinically safe, but you've also got to protect that information in a way that it can't be interfered with illegally or from external sources, that it can't be affected. And also the privacy and security of that data is all important. So we're working, we're aware of the issues that you can have with these new breakthrough systems, and we are at all levels making sure both our people are aware but also them making sure the systems we produce Stick to the standards and stick to the clinical principles that will do no harm.
0: And just lastly, Kerry, thinking about the future then for Intersystems, we've talked about a lot of it already today, but to summarise your major priorities and focus for the next six to 12 to 24 months, what can we look forward to seeing from Intersystems?
1: Look, I think it's in enhancing, obviously, the technologies that we've got, coming up with clear strategies for what we're going to do in the area of both interoperability. With using Iris for Health and the data as a data platform, but also the ability for connectivity both within the walls of the healthcare provider as well as externally, like I've mentioned, with virtual care. And how we're going to enhance the experience, I think, for, for both patients and clinicians for virtual healthcare, I think this is something that is wanted by both citizens and patients and clinicians in most countries. I would actually go further and say the majority of countries that we deal with want this ability for a variety of reasons, but at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the patients and their well-being. And then finally to look at, we're very much focused on The wellness aspect, the wellness aspect of our citizens, providing technology that can actually assist them to take more responsibility for their own care. And, of course, the ever-increasing ability with genomics. And we're seeing genomics as being a key factor in the future of healthcare. And so it's keeping up with those trends and the work that's being done in that area at all levels. So I think a quick summary is to be the best healthcare technology provider we can be, especially in the area of clinical, and to make sure that whatever we do is ultimately for the benefit of the patient and to assist the clinicians on making better, quick and effective decisions.
0: No, perfect. And look, you mentioned genomics and some of those more emerging trends in healthcare. I'd love to be able to talk with you in more details on those, but we might leave it for another conversation, Kerry. We'll close out this one here and we'll put some resources and information about InterSystems on the Talking Health Tech website for the InterSystems directory listing and also in the show notes of this episode. And you'll be able to also see the InterSystems website there. So check that out if you want more information and get in touch with the team and learn more. But look, Kerry, I really appreciate your time and taking us through it all today. Thank you so much.